Where passion, purpose, and skill collide, true bliss resides. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. And today, we are diving deep into becoming our truest and highest selves. Yes, finally, an uplifting topic for once. We've made it, guys. Now, if I were to easily sum up the core problem of an adult child, it would be the false self. As kids growing up in dysfunctional families, we learned that it was not okay to be our authentic selves, that it was not safe to be our authentic selves. So a false self emerged, and we see clear evidence of this false self through the laundry list and the common characteristics of an adult child, characteristics we took on in order to survive, in order to be loved, accepted, in order to protect our true selves. And while this false self served us well in childhood, in adulthood, it serves as a form of self-sabotage, and it prevents us from living a life of contentment and fulfillment that we are all fucking entitled to live. So if I were to easily sum up the purpose of adult child recovery— It would be to unearth this true self that went into hiding when we were kids to become our highest, truest, most authentic versions of ourselves. And it is through this process that we are able to live a life worth living, a life of fulfillment. So a few months into my adult child healing journey, I was at work. At the time, I was a CPA working an audit for a big four public accounting firm. Yes, accountants with personalities do exist. I wish I had a dollar for every time someone was shocked to learn that I was a CPA. So I'm sitting at work, and all of a sudden, I had this aha moment when I realized how much I had been selling myself short in life, particularly from a career perspective. And I realized that up until that point, the only thing I had really been concerned about or working towards was finding a man and getting married. And that literally had been my sole purpose in life. Nothing else had mattered. Not once had I considered what a fulfilling life would look like for me. Not once had I considered what a fulfilling career would look like for me. And I realized this unutilized greatness within that I was letting go to waste. And it was time for that to change. So it was in that moment that I embarked on a journey to discover my higher purpose, my true calling. How do I utilize my greatest strengths and assets to their fullest potential? So today I want to share some about that journey. A journey that I am still very much on, but a journey that has brought me to this moment now into this podcast. And then after that, I have an amazing conversation with Ben Kiker. He is a performance coach who helps others discover and live their very best lives. And he is going to provide us with some wisdom and tools on how the hell to do that. 
Now, what you should know about me is that A, I am 1000% myself from the moment that you meet me. B, I am not one for small talk. I'm not one for fluff. I crave authentic and vulnerable conversations. And C, I will pretty much talk to anyone. So it is August 2018, and it is a Tuesday evening around 5 30, and I am on the bus on my way home from work. And it was a super packed bus, and I was one of the lucky ones to actually get a seat. And so did Marvin. Marvin, who at the time I did not know was Marvin, was sitting next to me. Marvin appeared to be in his early 50s. He was wearing like a neon vest, like he worked in construction or something like that. But what was most interesting to me about Marvin was that I could see that he was on his phone and that he was on a dating app. Yes, I looked. I have no shame. And I could see that he was messaging with a woman and that this woman had just asked him to describe himself as a person. And Marvin is sitting there pondering his response. So then I proceeded to do something that I'm pretty sure nobody else on that bus or frankly in the world would have done. I turned to him and I said, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. What are you going to say? And he turned to me and he punched me in the face. No, he did not. He turned to me and he said, I'm going to tell her the truth. And this is the truth too. So then he scrolled up to the message that he had sent her right before she asked him to describe himself. And he had said, Before we go any further, I just want to let you know that in July 2017, I got out of prison after serving 28 years. Yeah. <laughs> and the first thing that I said to him was, Her response to you is so fucking weird. She literally responded to that with, How do you describe yourself as a person? She made no acknowledgement of the large bomb that he had just dropped. And he agreed that that was a little bit strange. And then the next thing that I asked, again, pretty sure that nobody else would have done this, I said, Do you mind me asking, was it for murder? And he said, Yes. And then he told me that he had grown up in Southern California. That his father had been in prison, that his mother was an addict, and that when he was 14, he had dropped out of school and joined a gang. And when he was 19, he was convicted of a double homicide. He was not the one to pull the trigger, but he was the one who had orchestrated it. And he was sentenced to the death penalty. And a few years into his sentence, the death penalty was overturned, and he said that he knew in that moment. That his life was saved for a reason, and that he would spend the rest of his days trying to figure out what that reason was. He got his GED, he got his associate's degree, he became certified as an addictions counselor and used this to be of service to his fellow inmates. And after 28 years behind bars, Marvin walked out of prison a new man, an amazing and inspirational man. And I shared with him a bit about myself 
And I told him that I did not judge him at all and that I could have easily killed somebody when I was drinking and driving. And when it got to my stop, Marvin got off the bus with me. And it was at that point that he told me that his stop had actually been four steps back, but that he had stayed on the bus to continue talking to me. And I gave him a hug. And I told him that I was so honored to have met him, that I was so honored that he had shared so openly and honestly with me. And I walked home from that bus stop with my entire body vibrating, feeling this deep sense of connection to not just Marvin, but to the universe. And not only was it perfectly clear to me that this interaction with Marvin had been divinely inspired, it was also becoming clear to me that there was something bigger going on here. Over the course of the year leading up to meeting Marvin, I had had several meaningful interactions with strangers, like the time I went to a concert with my Lyft driver or the time that I took a different Lyft driver to her very first AA meeting. And all of those experiences had produced this same feeling, this sort of euphoric high and magical connectedness to something that was larger than myself. So I continue to have these meaningful interactions with strangers, usually on public transportation, in lifts and Ubers, or in sports bars. But regardless of the location, it would usually go something like this. I strike up a conversation with a stranger, never with Hi, I'm Andrea. I consider myself the self-proclaimed queen of breaking the ice. I usually strike up a conversation in some weird way as if we are longtime friends. And then in a matter of moments, the conversation takes a turn and I start burying my soul. But like not in a creepy way. Something usually comes up naturally in the course of conversation and it's like a little wink from the universe that I am supposed to be sharing something personal about myself. And without fail, every single damn time, it becomes perfectly clear why I was supposed to share this intimate detail about myself. And what I learned about myself is that there's something within me that when I share my authentic, vulnerable self with a stranger, they then feel comfortable getting vulnerable with me. You wouldn't believe how many times I have heard, I can't believe I'm telling you this, I just met you. But I love those moments because those are the moments when I feel the most connected to my higher power in these divinely inspired moments of synchronicity, in this moment where it is so clear that the universe arranged for our paths to cross to have this interaction, to connect on a human level, on a soul-to-soul -soul level. And, you know, I think about this a lot, especially with the state of the nation and in particularly with social media, where we just demonize others for their beliefs. You believe something different from me. Therefore, you are evil. You are a bad human. But what we fail to realize, or at least in my opinion, is that we are all just a product of our upbringings, of our life experiences. And if we had had the same life experiences as somebody else, we would probably think and believe the same way that they do. I could go on a long tangent about this, but I'll save that for another day. So fast forward to November 2019, 
and I have yet another meaningful interaction with a stranger, and I decide that I should start a blog about all these interactions. So I purchase the domain name TalksToStrangers.co, and I created Instagram and Twitter accounts using the same name. But this was essentially as far as I got. I never actually created the website. I did start to write a few blog posts, but I never finished any of them. And after about a few weeks, I stopped working on the thing completely. And this is how it went for me over the next year. I would start some sort of a creative endeavor, super excited, super gung-ho, 100% certain that this is it and I'm going to see it through to the end. And without fail, resistance would set in, and I didn't finish a damn thing. There is this amazing book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, and the overall message of the book is that we encounter resistance whenever we are trying to do something that makes us a better or higher version of ourselves. Any action that rejects immediate gratification in favor of long-term growth, those are the times that we encounter resistance. For example, making a resolution to eat pizza every day for a month, easy peasy, but make a resolution to go to the gym or go to a 12-step meeting or meditate every day for 30 days, we're lucky if we make it a week. And this was me. I was unable to see any creative project to the finish line. And you know, I had always had a difficult relationship with creativity. I never considered myself to be creative. And I was brought up in a home where I was taught that creativity was of no value, that you don't do what you love, you do what makes you money, and that success is not found off the beaten path. You need to stick with what's safe. And I was addressing all these issues with my therapist, but the limiting belief playing in my head was not that my dreams and desires were unattainable, but that I would never figure out what the fuck my dreams and desires were. Or even if I did, I was convinced that I would remain in self-sabotage mode for the rest of my life, that I would never take the necessary actions to achieve my goals, that I would never take anything to the finish line, that I would always let resistance win. But at the same time, there was this voice inside of me, which I believe to be my true self, that gradually got louder over time, that was promising me that I was progressing and that I was moving towards something. I just couldn't see what it was. So then fast forward to this past August. I was in my car. I was driving over the Golden Gate Bridge. I remember the yoga pants I was wearing. I remember the Tom Petty song playing. I remember the coconut LaCroix sitting in my cup holder. And the thought popped into my head, you need to do an adult child podcast. Over the course of the pandemic, my higher power had presented me with several opportunities to be of service to fellow struggling adult children. A few of them were friends, a few of them were quasi-strangers, and I got to share my experience with them. My experience of being an adult child, my experience of hitting bottom after the tale of two Bryans about all of my pain and suffering and the subsequent transformation that had occurred when I desperately started addressing this shit. And me sharing my experience was impacting people. 
I could see it in their eyes. I was seeing people having their adult child aha moments, and this was fucking amazing. And I began to see that this was part of my purpose, or at least I wanted this to be part of my purpose because I knew that there was a shitload of suffering adult children out there and that there was even more people oblivious to the fact that they were adult children and that the source of their recurring suffering was related to this. So I started working on the podcast and I kept working on the podcast And sure, I encountered resistance. I encountered limiting beliefs. You've never done a podcast before. What makes you think you can do a podcast? And even if you do a podcast, who the fuck would even listen to it? But I did not succumb to this. It may have slowed my progress a bit, but I kept going. And then on March 31st of this year, I finally brought something to the damn finish line, y'all. I released my first episode. And now I can see that all of those failed creative endeavors were not failures. They were part of my journey. TalksToStrangers.co never took off because my higher power wanted me to talk to all of you strangers instead. I want you to know that whenever I receive a message from one of you, I get that feeling, that euphoric high, that magical connectedness, and I'm a junkie, so please keep them coming. Listen, as I said... I am still very much on this journey of unearthing my true self. This podcast ain't paying the bills, but it sure as hell is a significant stop along the way. I feel like I have found a place where passion, purpose, and skill collide. I heard Amy Jo Martin say that on a podcast several years ago, and it had a huge impact on me. Where passion, purpose, and skill collide, true bliss resides. And I want you to know that that is 1,000% attainable for you if, if you continue on this grueling yet highly rewarding journey of unearthing your true self, of reprogramming the faulty programming of your dysfunctional upbringing. And if you too are scared, like I once was, that you would remain in a perpetual mode of self-sabotage, that you will always succumb to resistance, Take my experience as hope that you are moving towards something you just can't see it yet. And now for my interview with Ben. The truth of the matter, my dear shit shows, is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from ADHD. I myself got diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago, and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done. Now, let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit get.donefirst.com slash podcast to learn more 
Again, that is get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn ADHD into your strength. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce Ben Kiker, a performance coach, a friend. Um, my therapist actually put me in contact with you, God, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Almost two, almost two years ago. Yeah. And I, I reached out to Ben because I was trying to figure out what the fuck to do with my life. I'm still figuring it out. I'm getting a little bit closer, but it's so great to have you here. I'm so grateful for you and for everyone to get to hear your wisdom. Well, thank you for the invite. Uh, and by the way, my husband, Rick said to say hello. Uh, he is a huge fan So when you reached out to me and said, hey, I've got a podcast going and uh, would you be interested in coming on the podcast? And I asked him to take a listen uh, to it because, you know, I run these big things by him. And they said, yeah, I listened to uh, Andrea's podcast. You should absolutely do it. And then the next day he said, oh, I finished them. I mean, you finished what? He goes, no, I listened to all of them. So he is, uh, he is definitely it's binge worthy if I say so myself. So (laughs) that, that should be, someone needs to leave a review on Apple podcast, five stars, of course, and they need to say hashtag binge worthy. How about Rick? (laughs) I I will, I will look at you with the marketing. I will uh, ask him to do that when we're done. That shit now. Well, so I have so much that I want to talk with you about, but you know, at first for our listeners to learn a little bit more about you, I was hoping that you could share about your upbringing, if it was dysfunctional, how it was dysfunctional and, and how do you feel like that has uh, surfaced and played out in adulthood? So uh, you bet. And fun story, Uh, as you know, you messaged me last night on Instagram and said, Hey, could we talk about your childhood a little bit? And I'm like, yeah, fine. Let's do it. And then this morning when I woke up, it literally was the first thing that came to my mind. Like, oh my God, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to say? Uh, so I'll just uh, share the, the, the highlights. And, and, and I think what many of your listeners can probably identify with or hopefully can identify with is I had a childhood that I absolutely felt loved in my childhood. And I'm really grateful for that. Uh, in fact, in therapy this morning, I was talking about the relationship that I had with my uh, paternal grandfather and how important that relationship we was. We both had for therapy me. this morning. So that should mean that this. Look at that. Well, <laughs> for everybody listening, you're getting, you're getting Ben and Andrea after they've been like washed and pressed and, and, and cleaned up a little bit. Um, so I had that love and yes. And. I also experienced moments of, of stability and instability, meaning uh, there were moments when things felt very calm and secure and safe. And then there were moments when things felt uh, a little bit more chaotic um, and a little bit less safe. And, uh, you know, for me, what that led to in this uh, came up in the interview that you did with Tian Dayton as this state of hypervigilance. And so through the work that I've done as an adult, I've recognized that this hypervigilance that I have really comes from those experiences in childhood. You know, these moments of, again, just feeling super safe and secure to 
oh my God, what just happened and what's about to happen next? Is there a pivotal memory that you have or moment that you would want to share about? One that just came to mind. And, and I really hope that I, uh, well, I might start crying if I, if I do this and then, <laughs> and then that would be a first I've done many, uh, I've done a number of podcast interviews, but I've never cried on one yet. Um, I, I remember it was a, a fairly um, tough time for me. I was in a junior high, by the way, I hated junior high. Uh, if I ran the world, you would go from your favorite grade in elementary school, which for me was third grade to when you really started to feel good in high school, which for me was like 10th grade and you would skip everything in between. So I'm in junior high. It's just a tough period. A lot of issues going on, including, by the way, starting to realize that I'm attracted to guys and a spoiler alert for anybody listening. I'm gay. Well, I already mentioned my husband, Rick. So, I mean, I don't, why do I need to say that? That should already be, that's already come out. And I was with my grandfather and I'll never forget. We were, um, he loved, loved, loved to watch. And now this is going to date me. He loved to watch Johnny Carson at night. And we had a little routine where we would have dinner and all of that. And then we would sit and he had this recliner and we would watch the monologue of Johnny Carson. And we watched the monologue. And then I looked at him and I was just, I just felt such discomfort over a lot of things that were happening in my family that were very, very difficult for me to process. And it was one of those moments, Andrea, where I remember it's almost as though I didn't have to share with him what I was experiencing. He knew it. He knew it. And he knew that I was scared. He knew that I was in pain. He knew that I was uncomfortable. And he messaged back to me without saying anything, an energy and a love that was incredibly, incredibly comforting for me at that time. And so that is absolutely uh, a big memory for me growing up. Thanks for asking about that. And I got through talking about it without crying. So I think that that is a, that's kind of a nice segue because the thing that really makes a difference in how somebody's childhood impacts them is if they have these other um, kind of cushions or comforters in place that can create resilience. And typically that is if we have somebody in our life who is there to support us, who is, can provide us unconditional love. That really makes a big difference in how somebody could experience the the same um, trauma or abuse in their childhood and one turn out super fucked up and the other one turn out maybe just a little bit fucked up as if they had somebody in their life like your grandfather. So I know that resilience is a big kind of topic for you. Um, so do you want to share about that? Yeah, you bet. So So let's start with the definition. The ability to both bounce back and bounce forward in moments that are troubling, challenging, or create an issue, that's, that's resilience. And it's a topic that's very near and dear to me. It's a topic that I do a lot of work with clients on. Clients often call me when they just feel really overwhelmed and they're beating themselves up for what they're not doing, what they're not getting done, what, what, what's not happening or they beat themselves up because they've got a big question that they can't answer or solve. This sort of goes back to when you and I first met a couple of years ago. And so part of what I really do is work to coach someone's inner coach, to help someone's inner coach 
get better at helping someone just adapt to the ebbs and flows that occur in life. And does everyone have an inner coach? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and listen, the reason why I bring that up is because we all talk about our inner critic. Everyone loves to talk about their inner critic. I actually have a name for mine. I refer to it as my insane thought generator. We can come back and talk more about that in a moment. We've all got an inner critic. But what I think we forget is that we also have an inner coach. There's absolutely a part of us that is geared to, designed to help us pick up and keep moving forward. So how the hell do we access that? Awesome question. There are three things that I help people focus on to increase their awareness. And we can briefly go into them. And if you've got more questions, we can share more. Number one is around awareness. Number two is around abundance. Number three is around action. The AAA, awareness, abundance, and action. Number one around awareness, where am I? And it's so often we aren't fully present. We're just on autopilot sort of skating through the day. We're not really present to where we are right now in this moment. So let's just start by getting grounded with where we are. Number two, around abundance. What do I have to work with right now? It's very common, and especially over the last year and the pandemic, to sort of fall into this not enough trap, right? Not enough this, not enough that. And if you imagine a line with scarcity and abundance, it's very easy for us to fall into the scarcity part of it and look at all the things that we don't have. Yet many of us have internal and external resources and strengths that we can call on that when we catalog those things, we all of a sudden start to shift into a place of abundance. So get grounded, increase your awareness, then look at, wait a minute, I've been looking at what I don't have, but I got a lot of things that I do have over here, including strengths. And then number three around action, if you're really overwhelmed, just think of what are the three things for today, not next Wednesday, not Wednesday a month ago. What are the three things to focus on and to get done today? So as we, I'll just kind of put a bow on that, as we increase our awareness for the present moment, as we really get away from scarcity and abundance, look at all that we have to work with. And there's always more that we have than we give ourselves credit for. And we have the ability to put together a game plan for the day that absolutely helps us build resilience, hands down. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about the scarcity and abundance, you know, I guess it was like a week and a half ago and I was taking a walk and I was listening to the audiobook of um, What Happened to You. It's with Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah and it's about childhood trauma. And at first I was getting super excited. Like, this is great that there's more of a discussion around this. And then it was like almost instantaneously, I went into that scarcity piece. I was like, if Oprah has a book and this guy has a book, why the fuck would anyone listen to my podcast? There's not room for me. It's interesting how quickly we can go there. And I think it's what you were just saying about the insane thought generator, awareness, action, abundance, like those are all great tools, but it's so hard to think to do that when you're in that negative space, when you start spinning out. I think that that is the hardest part about any of our tools that we have is like actually remembering them when we're in that spot of negativity, when we start spinning out. So do you have any tips on that? I do. So uh, in fact, I just jotted down four things to cover. Uh, Do we we have two hours, three hours. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <We're gonna> be... <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you did a great job teeing up uh, some very important things that uh, I'd love to share. First, let's let's start with what I think is one of the single greatest techniques and strengths to build, and that is the ability to hit pause and pull up. The ability to, when we are feeling ungrounded, uncomfortable, to hit pause and pull up. And I remind folks, it's very similar to what happens in airplanes. As you can see behind me, we've got a number of airplane models on my credenza, a little bit of an, of an airplane and airline nut. And back in the 60s, when jet aircraft came onto the market, uh, and these are bigger planes and they're flying higher and faster, unfortunately, some of them were flying into the ground or flying into mountains and pilots were getting disoriented. So there was technology developed that allowed uh, that essentially alerted a pilot when they were about to collide with something. And one of the things that would happen in the cockpit is this, this noise, this, this voice that would say, pull up, pull up, Andrea. And what it does is one allows the pilot to avoid the collision, but two, more importantly, it gives them space to be able to work the problem in a different way. And that's what we have to do with our at times obsessive, unhelpful thinking is we have to hit pause, pull up, and put some distance between us and that to try to figure out a way to work the problem differently. So for folks that are listening, if they just took one thing away from today, I would really love for people to focus on uh, and get good at being able to hit pause and pull up. So that's one. So when we hit pause and pull up, we then have the ability to, again, work the problem in a different way. And this gets us into our insane thought generator. So we're going to do a quick visualization exercise that I do with clients. I want you to imagine there's a long conference room table. And at the head of that table is you, Andrea. You are the CEO of Andrea Inc. And all up and down that table are all of the unbelievable strengths and skills and resources, both internal and external right? I'm at that table. I'm a fan. I'm there. I'm a resource. But all the way at the end of the table, kind of out of sight, is this thing that when we get ungrounded, maybe we get a little tired, maybe we get a little angry, maybe we get a little hungry, the old halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It pushes itself up to the table and it begins banging on the table. What in the world are we doing here? podcast, you're recording. Who's going to listen to your podcast? Oprah's got a book. Oprah's got 20. going to listen to your podcast, right? So in those moments, that thing pushes itself up. And that's where being able to hit pause, pull up and to recognize what's happening is so critical and to have some fun with it. Go, that's just my insane thought. There it goes again. And if you don't want to call it an insane thought generator, give it another name, but just have recognize that that thing is there. And in that moment, you simply accept that it's there. You don't try to dismiss it. You're just like, yeah, I hear you. Thank you for your feedback. We're still going to go do the podcast today. So being able to hit pause, pull up, recognize, wait a minute, my insane thought generator is trying to fly the plane right now. That's not good. We need to get that person out of the seat. And then I love your vulnerability and talking about that message of who's going to listen to my podcast. 
And uh, I just want to share a uh, kind of a related example. So this is the seventh year of my coaching business. And one of the first things that I did early on is I would start to, I wrote blogs and for anybody listening, please come to benkiker.com and sign up for my newsletter. And so I would uh, write these things and I would email them to Even though there was an email them, I just put them on my website. And I remember a couple of years ago, just going through this process of why am I doing this? Like it takes all this work. And at first I would be excited about it. And then I would think this is a piece of shit. Nobody's going to read it. Uh, this is going to be the one that when you email it, everybody's going to uh, unsubscribe to your database. Uh, this is the one they may have liked the last one, but this is the one that they're really going to hate this time. And of course, so that's the story. What is the fact? The fact is every single time that I have put a message in a bottle and thrown it out into the world, I have had at least one person that has said, thank you for what you wrote. Thank you for what you said. Thank you for what you did. That's it. And I know, I know that you have had way more than one person give. I know one person that's giving you positive feedback on your podcast, which is Rick, but I know that you've had more than one person that is giving you that feedback. And I'm just going to close on this uh, and, and big shout out to uh, good friend, client collaborator, Bronwyn Saglian Benny, who I referenced as we were warming up. Bronwyn is the one that said to me, listen, Ben, your job now, your job is to create a message, put it in a bottle and fling it as far out as you can. Your job, that's what, that's what, you're, that's what you and I are both here to do right now. Andrew. We are creating a message. We're going to put it in a bottle. We're going to fling it as far as we can and just trust that it will land where it needs to land. Our part is to just do what we're doing right now. That's all we got to do. Yeah. You know, it's something I think about a lot and I'd be curious to hear kind of your relationship and your experience with it as far as, well, actually let's, let's talk about you had a, a very successful career in tech. Um, and then seven years ago, you kind of transitioned into this to this new space. So I'd love to kind of hear the story behind that before I make the comment that I was going to make. Yeah, you bet. So uh, I'll try to do it quickly. Uh, as I shared with you, when we were warming up, I grew up in Texas. I started working for a, and by the way, thought I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, didn't go that way. I started working for a Silicon Valley based startup in Texas, had the opportunity to come out to the Bay area for a marketing role. I didn't really know how to spell the word marketing. And I thought, well, I'll come out, I'll do that for a year. And then I'll move back to Dallas. So I thought I'll come out to the Bay area. I'll spend a year, maybe two. And then I'll go back to Dallas. Cause after all, Dallas is so nice and flat. And why wouldn't you want to move back to, to Dallas? And uh, that was 30 years later, I'm still here. And so I found out that I was pretty good at marketing and a knack for it. I really enjoyed it. And I built an incredible career running marketing teams for uh, enterprise software companies here in Silicon Valley. Now, I also, alongside with that, uh, became a really good weekend warrior. And I took work hard, play hard to a whole new level. And that led me in 2009 to go to a residential treatment program for the first time. I am one of those that needed a few stunts. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that really began my journey of recovery, which I'm incredibly grateful for. And I didn't, um, 
you know, I stayed in tech. I didn't really know that I was going to stay in tech. And at the time I was working for a startup in Chicago, commuting back and forth. And we needed everybody hunkered down in Chicago. I don't do cold weather full time. This was at the end of 2014. And I was back on the ranch in Texas and thinking about what am I going to go do next? And I was interviewing for other marketing roles of which there was a bunch and nothing really grabbed my soul. And I think when you've been on the edge of the abyss, the way that you and I have relative to the disease that we share, when you've been on the edge of the abyss and you about to fall in, you just think about things in a different way. And I had really what I feel is a God shot moment of inspiration on the ranch that was, look, you really love helping people. And why don't you figure out a way how to help people as a coach? And so on January the 1st of 2015, I started my coaching practice and I literally started with a blank sheet of paper. And when I mean a blank sheet of paper, I mean, I didn't even have a name for it. Uh, I just started and here we are seven years later. That's amazing. You know, there's just so many people out there that, you know, they're not happy with, with what they do. They have hopes and dreams and desires. They never take the action to do anything about it. So my question to you is, and it's something that I've been kind of grappling with and, and trying to, to learn how to do, but it's, it's all about this taking action, right? Putting the energy out there, but then also allowing the space for our, our higher power. Obviously we can't just sit there like a starfish and do nothing, but then at the same time, we can't just be control, control, control. And so what has your relationship looked like for that? Like how, what have some tools that you've used to obviously take action, but then also practice that element of letting go and not being a control freak? Let me, let, let's do that in two parts. Let me start with a, an incredibly helpful tool before I get to the tool, um, really understanding, and I would encourage your listeners really understanding um, what are your strengths? What are the things that are just really core and native about you? What are the things that are, that, that really make you, you, what are the strengths that just suit up and show up in your life every day and really understand what those are? What if somebody is in that deep negative hole where they can't even identify any strengths that they may have? So a, a great thing to go do is to go to, and I'm going to tell a story about you here, go to a Clifton Strengths and pay $49.99 and take their assessment tool and see how the 34 strengths that they uh, have measured over the last 40 years across millions of people, see how those show up in your life. Just start there. Just start there. And then get that document and go through and read and see how do those things identify for me. So that is something that you can take action on versus kind of following this, again, unhelpful story in your head that you don't have strengths because the answer is you do. We all do. Here comes the story about you. I had this conversation with you when we first met almost two years ago and you said, oh, I've actually done Clifton Strengths. Let me, and I said, awesome, send me your report. And one of your top five strengths is a strength called woo, winning others over. And so 
you need to be doing something professionally and personally, like what you're doing now with this podcast, where you have the ability to let that woo strength come out and play in a meaningful way. One of my strengths is activator. Activators are great at getting off the blank sheet. When do we start? How do we get going? Right. I need to be doing something that allows that strength to come out and play. So I just to kind of punctuate on that, we all have strengths and go do some work around what yours are. And then think about stories and examples in your life where that strength has, where you've utilized that strength to do something that was meaningful. And then back to the second question of how do you, um, how do you kind of counter that, that negative talk? Um, this is where action comes into play. And, you know, even if you just think about it in terms of what are three meaningful things that I can do today to take action, and you set that as your intention for the day, and then what I want you to do at the end of the day is to recognize yourself for what you did get done. So let's say that you wrote down three things that I'm going to do for the day that are going to be helpful for me. And at the end of the day, you only get one done. Before you go to bed, I want you to recognize yourself for the one thing that you got done. We have a horrible, and I work with just some really high-performing get-shit-done people, and we have a horrible habit to focus on what we did not get done. There were 10 things on the list. I got eight done. I didn't get two done. I'm going to flog myself before I go to bed for the two things that I didn't get done. We have to celebrate what we actually do, Andrea. We have to celebrate that. What about when it comes to failure? Something I think a lot about on how we need to confront adversity as opportunities to, to grow and thrive. Um, do you have any concrete tools to use to kind of confront perceived failures as actually opportunities to grow and become better versions of ourselves? Sure. I think you just nailed it. The first is to look at it as how do I learn and grow from this process? And if that's just doing a little bit of writing, I'm a big fan of doing writing. I do writing in my morning practice. If that's just to think, what did I learn from this? What did I take away? What do I want to do differently? And, you know, focus on, you know, focus on that versus, um, because you can't unring the bell, right? You can't go back and change, but to focus on what did I learn? What did I take away from it? How can I grow from this? And then how can I help other people grow with it? That has always been helpful for me when I've experienced some sort of a setback. If I think about it as how do I learn and grow? And then how can I help other people learn and grow? Then my compass is not pointed toward me. My compass is pointed toward other people. What about goal setting? What is your process uh, for setting goals personally with yourself or working with clients as far as how do we set targets, markers out there, but at the same time, um, being con- like wary of not setting ourselves up for expectations that later then spiral us out if we don't meet them? Yeah, the, the, this, is, this is a great question because it's, uh, it's good to have goals. And I'll talk about how to do that in a moment. Yet we also want to make sure that we, um, uh, we're being kind to ourselves in the process, Right. So here's the way that I think about it. At the top level, I refer to goals as big rocks. And one of my favorite questions to ask 
a new client or prospective client that I'm meeting with or an executive at a company that I'm working with is just tell me the big rocks, Andrea. Tell me the the three or four, maybe five things that you are working to drive or that you and your team are working to drive over the course of this year. These are just the sort of big Uber, big things that are going to probably take a full year in order to realize and in order to do. And so personally, I do that for myself. So I'll give you an example. One of my big rocks for 2021 is how do I get more Ben to more people? I have a very good, solid, thriving one-on-one coaching practice, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Unfortunately, that only scales to a certain point. In fact, right now I'm fully committed Mm -hmm. in the coaching that I'm doing. I recognize that there are a lot of other people that could benefit from what I do and how I do it. So what are ways that I can get that to them that don't involve one-on-one time and that maybe also are more cost-effective for them? So that is a big rock for me for the year. And then on a monthly basis, I'll look at what are the one or two things that I can be doing against that big rock for the year. So let me give one quick example, and I'll pause to see if this if this resonates with you. One example is earlier this year, I started doing, uh, in the moment, coaching live on Instagram every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. I did one this morning before you and I hopped on. The subject was talking about hard things. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so that's one example of something that I've started doing that, again, can help get more bend to more people. So big rocks. So think about what are your four or five big rocks that you're, that you're focused on for the year? So then what happens at the end of the year and you have not attained your big rock? Where do you go? Well, I, I, and, and this is where I think on, a, on either usually a monthly basis works well is to say, what am I going to do this month against that big rock? And so that you have an ability throughout the year to see incremental progress that you're making. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I got to throw a little football quote in here and it's going to come from the legendary Vince Lombardi of my favorite team, the Green Bay Packers inches make champions. And the whole trick is just get the ball on the field, get the ball on the field and start moving the ball down the field. And so the trick is every month look at what can I do to move the ball against this big rock that I am working on? And I guarantee you at the end of the year, you will have made progress against the big rock. You may not completely have it done, but you've got momentum that can carry you into the next year. Yeah. And I think also too, kind of remembering that this is all still a process of, you know, as you're going along and as you're taking those monthly actions towards your big rock, you might realize that, the, your big rock isn't the big rock that you actually want. So it's kind of just remembering that it's a process of learning more about ourselves and what we kind of want to do in the world. I know that that's been kind of my, my process over the past few years. I feel like I've been working towards something that something has kind of shifted, you know, every few months or so, but just kind of allowing that process as well to just figure out what, what that big rock is. And it's okay if that big rock changes. It right. And, and, you know, this is where something I know that you have heard before and, and uh, it's super helpful for me personally is do the work, trust the process, do the work, trust the process. And you're doing the work. I mean, launching this podcast, when you sent me your email and said, Hey, I launched a podcast. I'm like, wow, that's a really big effing deal to get done. And congratulations on that, by the way, you know, how many people who go, God, I think I'll do your, and then, they don't do it. 
So you've done it, right? So you're establishing a platform to help people. And to me, that's, that's kind of part of the big rock for you. There's something that part, part of your big rock is around, how do I take my experiences and how do I use those to help other people? Now, the podcast is a big action against that big rock. And who knows, it might evolve and change over time. But the point is that you're taking action against it. And I am just such a huge fan of um, figuring out a way to get into action, right? And to, to learn and to uh, figure it out, uh, to figure it out as you go. So I want to share, and this might be helpful for listeners as well, is when you're trying to make one of these decisions about how do you start, um, I have five suggestions that could be helpful. You want me to run through them? Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to, I was going to bring that up too. Yeah. I would like for you to run through them. And the other thing I was just kind of wondering, and maybe we could talk about it afterwards, yeah. but what if, what if you know what you want, but you just think it's just too, so unattainable, like how do you take that first step? But maybe these five things will kind of go there. Yeah. So, so first of all, I, I love that you have an idea that's big and bold and that you think is unattainable. That's awesome. I mean, that shows some imagination bandwidth on your part. Yay. Right. I'd, I'd much rather have something. Well, I've got this sort of big thing. I don't know. I mean, I'd rather hear that than the no idea part. So, so if you've got one of these big unwieldy things, awesome. So look, anytime that you're making a key decision about something, starting a new venture, changing roles, whatever. I'll do five things. Number one, get clarity around what are you optimizing for? So oftentimes, and you and I probably had this discussion when we met two years ago, when, when you reached out to me about what do I want to do next? I'm not sure. Just what are you optimizing for, right? What's critical? And FYI, what you're optimizing for today in your life will be different than maybe what you're optimizing for 10 years from now or 20 years from now, but just spend some time thinking about what am I really trying to optimize for with this decision? That's number one. Give some examples. Sure. So let's say that you're looking to make a uh, career change. Are you optimizing for short-term financial gain? Are you optimizing for more flexibility and time off? Are you optimizing for building skills and strengths in a new area? Are you optimizing for increasing your network? And again, the common answer is, well, I want to optimize for all that. Yes. And what are you really trying to optimize for in this decision? Just get clarity around that. That's step one. After you determine what you're optimizing for, number two is look at what are the range of outcomes? And I always encourage people to think about what are at least three different outcomes for the decision that you're trying to make? And, and the reason why that's important is because if we're locked into one particular decision that we think we really want to make, that might not be the best decision. It forces us to hit pause, pull up and go, wait a minute. Are there are a couple of other options that I could take right now. In addition to the one that I seem stuck on and number three, and this is super critical, important, have someone else look under the hood. And this is where developing a personal pit crew, tribe, whatever language you want to give to it, someone that you can reach out to and say, yeah, I've got this idea and here's what I've been thinking about. This is kind of what I'm trying to optimize for. I've identified a couple of, a couple of options. What do you think, right? Have someone else look under the hood for it or look under the hood at it for you. 
And what's really important, I think, especially (laughs) for adult children is to be mindful about who it is that you're speaking to. Because many of us going to a family member or a parent, (laughs) that could be the worst possible pit crew to go to. Might probably not someone that you want to have in your pit crew, right? Uh, probably not someone. I'm glad you you bought that up. Yeah, make sure you're having the right person look under the hood. And also not having 50 people in your pit crew too. You don't need to tell every single damn person. Correct, correct. And so you need to think about who are the one or two people that can give me the best perspective on this before I move forward. Number four is just ask yourself, do I need to hit pause right now, right? It is okay sometimes that if you're going down the path of making a decision, look, if a decision needs to be made, timing issue or whatever, then absolutely make it. Otherwise, somebody else is going to make it for you and that's not fun. But if you're going down a path and you think, you know, I just need to hit pause for a moment in order to gather a little bit more information, awesome, do that. And the number five is, do I have confidence in the decision? Meaning, so let's say I've done all that. I'm clear about what I'm optimizing for. I've looked at the range of outcomes. I let somebody look under the hood or a couple of somebody's look under the hood. I'm ready to move. Am, do I have confidence in the decision? And here's why. Because once you make the decision, and I remind clients this all the time, I want all of your energy to be focused on executing against that decision, not going back and revisiting, wow, did I make the right decision? Did I not make the right decision? So 100% of your energy focused on the decision and moving forward with, with the decision. Yeah, confident in the decision and not so much weighted in the outcome of the decision. Correct. And, and know that, that very few decisions bind us forever. So just you're making the best decision that you can today based on the outcome that you're optimizing for, feedback that you've received from other people, knowing that the time is right. You're making the best decision that you can today. It doesn't mean that you might revisit the decision or the circumstance at some point downstream when it's called for. Mm, Those are awesome. So in closing, do you have any final thoughts? Is there anything that you're dying to get off your chest or you feel like people need to hear? I've been thinking a lot lately about curiosity and just how do I activate my, my curiosity? How do I encourage clients to activate their curiosity? Uh, I struggle with anxiety. I don't talk about that a lot, but it is something that I struggle with. I've been experiencing that of late. And what I try to do is just get curious about what's going on for me, with me, around me, because curiosity just feels better than being anxious, right? As my longtime therapist, coach, amazing human being, and this who walks this planet, Joni Lavick has said to me on more than one occasion, Ben, anxiety does not lead to outcomes. And I love that reminder. And I'd love to leave that. That was a gift to me, I hope it's a gift for your audience. Anxiety does not lead to outcome. It's just being me being anxious about a situation. It's not going to do anything to the situation. But if I can get curious about it, if there's a specific action that I can take against it, those are things that can help lower the dimmer switch of my anxiety just a little bit. It may not completely eliminate it, but lower it just a little bit that allow me to get into action. And back to where we started, once we're in action and once there's good momentum going, then we just get the lift 
from that. So that's what I wanted to leave everybody with. Well, where can people find you? Super easy. Benkiker.com, B-E-N-K-I-K-E-R.com is my website. Sign up for my newsletter. Come follow me on Instagram at Ben Kiker, Twitter at Ben Kiker. Connect with me on LinkedIn. All the ways, all the ways, Andrea. Anything that you're working on that you're excited about right now that you want to share? You know, I am. I am working on something to help overcome overwhelming situations. Oh, How about that? So you're like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm, I'm, I'm not overwhelmed at all. Yeah. So I'm doing some interesting work around, around that and uh, stay tuned for more to come. I will. And I just want you to know that you are a part of my journey. When we met you, you had a big, big impact on me. You helped me to believe in myself, even though I wasn't quite sure what I was believing in. I just want to thank you for, for your light because you truly are a, a bright light. Well, I thank you for that. And uh, wonderful to be on this journey with you, my friend. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that can help you out on your own journey. Please check out the show notes, her resources, as well as links to Ben's website and his social media accounts. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Adult Child Pod. And if you have not already done so, I ask you, please, please, please give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It will help me to reach other adult children. And now it is time for Hit a girl up. So I received this message on TikTok and it is, how do I apologize when I overreact and lash out at others over perceived attacks? Wonderful question. And I think regardless of the situation, it is about acknowledging that we overreacted, apologizing for overreacting, and apologizing for anything hurtful we may have done or said. And I would say in most situations, this is it. But I actually found myself in a situation similar to this a few weeks ago. And when I went to apologize to my friend, I told him, I said, you know, I realize that the reason I reacted the way that I did was because it triggered feelings of unworthiness within me. But I don't necessarily think that that is the best route to go for most people, as I think most people could view that statement as an excuse. But when it comes to people who are in recovery, people that we have intimate relationships with who are emotionally healthy, I think explaining why we reacted the way that we did, again, we're not making excuses for the way that we reacted, but we're kind of explaining why we did, when it's with somebody who's healthy I think that that can be a very healing and therapeutic conversation to have. If you have questions, comments, insights, I would love to hear from you. Hit a girl up. Please check out the show notes for more details on that. I will see you next week for another great episode. It's going to be super raw. It's going to be super vulnerable. And I'm super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie. I promise. Let's